this stuff. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Play This, the podcast where two old friends talk about video games. I'm Max. And I'm Daniel. And a, a happy Passover and happy Easter out there to everybody. We're recording this on the first full day of Passover. Yeah. So I'm not eating any bread. Yeah. How's how's that going? I mean, you know, so far I've only had breakfast. Okay. But I didn't eat any bread at breakfast, so. Yeah. Does cereal count as bread you can't eat? Yes. Okay. Anything made from uh, grains, Ashkenazi tradition, like corn, beans, they're all out. Huh. So it's real fun. Yeah. Real fun. <laughs> A lot of potatoes. Potatoes oh. are good. Oh, yeah. Nice. I think... Even, like, old Jews knew they couldn't take potatoes away from themselves. Like, we just wouldn't survive if we didn't have potatoes. Uh, I can imagine them with, yeah. like, a list of groceries, and they're, like, right. crossing them off. Like, oh, no, okay, no rice, yeah, no wheat. They get to potatoes. They it's all, like, like, look at each other. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're not taking that away from me, Habib. <laughs> Habib? I, I don't know. I don't really know Jewish names too good. I mean, maybe there was a Habib once. Okay. Um, okay. And that's why that one's not used anymore. Because <laughs> okay. he was the guy who took away all the food. <laughs> Habib's a potato taker, and we, we are not standing for that in this household. <laughs> you're being a real Habib, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to our Passover cast. <laughs> you got any uh, Easter plans there, Daniel? Uh, no. <laughs> you gonna go color some eggs? Uh, nah. Although there's a lot of Easter egg hunts happening in Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> for some reason... <laughs> Where? Are you going to, like, a listserv? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just all over the city. But for some reason, they, they only seem to have, like, directions for, like, 12 and under... Uh, I wonder why. Yeah, for some reason, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> no the, one wants to like be the adult <laughs> yeah. taking eggs from a child. Uh, these Easter egg hunts aren't very inclusive. <laughs> you like, you see one on the ground, you pick it up, like this wasn't hard. This is for babies. <laughs> Read the room, Daniel. So let's talk about some video game news. Yeah, though there was really nothing to talk about. You wrote down two things on our little list here, but I think they're both kind of like. In any other week, we wouldn't be talking about either of these. Actually, there's one I put down here because the progression of it has kind of fascinated me. We'll go into it. So, for a long time now, Ubisoft has been in danger of a hostile takeover from Vivendi. Uh, Vivendi had, like, a bunch of shares in Ubisoft, and for, like, years now, they've had, like, just short of enough shares to just buy out the like just have a controlling share yeah exactly to just take over ubisoft and they had vivendi had sort of vocally said that like yeah i th we think ubisoft's wasting their time with these experimental games and a lot of what they're doing we kind of want to just own the company so that they can make just dance games and nothing else for the rest <laughs> of their life you know like yeah like they wanted to turn it very very corporate and very profitable without doing these risky games that Ubisoft likes to do sometimes, like Rayman Origins and right. Child of Light. You know, we wouldn't see any of the cool stuff that Ubisoft does anymore. Mirror's Edge. Yeah, they would absolutely... Uh, Mirror's Edge is EA, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. They would absolutely cancel something like Beyond Good and Evil 2 if they were to own Ubisoft. We just get a bunch of Assassin's Creed Candy Crush. Oh, oh Jesus. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so the Guillemots... The the owners of Ubisoft, the creators of Ubisoft, for the past couple of years have basically just been like kiting this hostile takeover. They've been convincing other shareholders to buy more shares. They've been buying a few shares out of their own pocket 
to just keep themselves afloat and like just barely away from this takeover. And finally, last week, Vivendi was like, you know what? Uh, we'll sell you our shares for $2 billion. And Ubisoft was, okay. <laughs> and Ubisoft, yeah, and Ubisoft was like, okay. And, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so Vivendi has sold all their shares back to Ubisoft. Ubisoft is their own company and they don't have to worry about that anymore. But now they're $2 billion poorer. Yeah, now they're, yeah, they're much less in the green or whatever the term is for having enough money to be profitable. In the black. Yeah, they're definitely not going to have much of a profit this fiscal year, I think. But they're... Uh... Well, I assume... Well, I don't know. <clears throat> I didn't look at it. I assume that the $2 billion is taken out from a loan from a bank from somewhere. Yeah, so oh, yeah. They might have it, you know, prorated over a number of years or something. I have no idea. Yeah, that's not a bad point. I don't think they just um, had $2 billion in cash laying around that they <laughs> self-financed. Yeah, that's fair. Unless uh, Assassin's Creed did that much better than everyone expected. Mm, yeah, maybe not. Either way, I think this is a win. Yeah, you know? sounds I, like it. Yeah, I think it's great that Ubisoft gets to be an independent company again. Ubisoft does a surprising amount of like wacky, interesting things in the gaming industry. and Like Rayman. Yeah, and I I was a little worried that that was going to get taken away. So I had my eye on that, and it's cool that they actually they actually won this battle. Uh, that's that's kind of rare to see in yeah. a lot of the takeovers and uh, and cancellations and and just companies disappearing or getting enveloped into bigger companies. It's it's nice to see that even though Ubisoft, Ubisoft itself is a very big company, which doesn't always make the best decisions. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't. They're not exactly one of the little guys, right? But they're a little guy compared to Vivendi, so it's nice sure. to see them see them survive. Well, and it's also, like, the growing trend in the calendar year 2018 is, like, the pushback of, like, uh, things that have made video games good rather than things that have made video games profitable but bad. Yes. I mean, there's been, you know, a lot of pushback against loot boxes being done uh, unethically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, EA got into a, a lot of that this year with <laughs> Battlefront 2. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, it, I think, you know, this is a, a, a positive trend or a good sign that companies are realizing that chasing the quick buck, the easy buck, isn't you know the way to 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 have long-term stability with your gamers so yeah that's, it's only positive yeah i agree i agree completely i mean it's not great that you know ubisoft is two billion dollars down I, I i wonder if that will make them take fewer risks in the near future good point and that we actually still then might see a, an assassin's creed candy crush <laughs> but you know i think if, if we have to put up with that to get a rayman back rather than just that's the new norm that's obviously a win yeah agree with that yeah so what was your uh second news item of the week this makes less of a big splash in the industry, but it's something that I personally find interested in. GDC happened. The Game Developers Conference happened since last time we did our podcast. Uh, Spike Chunsoft, they've done stuff like the Danganronpa series and the Mystery Dungeon games. They've opened a Western branch in the United States, so they announced a bunch of localizations. They've announced a bunch of titles that they're localizing themselves instead of getting a middleman like Exceed Games or NIS America to yeah. do it like they did in the past. There's two games they announced that I, I'm i pumped about. One is they reconfirmed that 428 should be a scramble, a game that I mentioned during my 2018 Most Anticipated. <laughs> they showed off the English version of that game, and it's coming out in summer 2018, which is really exciting. That game looks so weird yeah. and bizarre. Have you seen any of it? I haven't yet, no. Yeah. Yeah, it's a visual novel that uses, like, live-action stills, basically. I remember you talking about that during the Looking Forward To podcast. Yeah. And I'm, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around <laughs> it. There, there's, 
they just like release some English screenshots and there's there's one screenshot where the narration is something like my partner changed into a new disguise and you just see like a guy in a suit standing next to a guy wearing like an anime t-shirt <laughs> and like shorts yeah, let's put that still up on our twitter yeah yeah absolutely and there's several like fantastic screenshots there's several of, of one of the playable characters which is someone like in a mascot costume running around uh that game looks so dumb and so great and i'm <laughs> so excited for for it to come out this summer they also announced without a release date the localization of Zenki Zero, which is a new game from the Danganronpa team. This dungeon crawling game, this Etrian Odyssey style dungeon crawling game, it looks like, where you have eight playable characters and they're all the last survivors of mankind. And they're also all clones that only that can only live for thirteen days. There's there's sort of this time management thing where your clones will like will like age and slowly die, and then you can like revive them as babies hmm. again that's interesting yeah um, I'm, less, I'm less excited about the etrian odyssey component but that that sounds interesting yeah and and each of the characters is based off of one of the sins you've got you know you've got sloth greed lust etc and then the eighth character is original sin oh. um and they've all got really cool character designs gluttony is Gluttony is a girl that's chubby but not obese, which I never see in anime. So <laughs> that's exciting, actually. Yeah, anime doesn't have a great track record of portraying people who aren't rail thin. Yes, exactly. So fingers crossed that she gets not shitty treatment. The Dangrampa team's track record is hit and miss with that kind of thing. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I assume uh, that this news means that we shouldn't just look forward to localizations, but maybe some new content from this Western team. Maybe, uh, I think mostly we'll just get localizations, but it also looks like they're publishing some distinctly Western games. One of the games they announced was Pixel Junk Monsters 2, which is a game being developed by a Western team. They're, they're, they pick that up and they're publishing it. So, basically we can just expect, I don't think they'll ever, I don't think Spike Chunsoft Western Branch will necessarily ever develop a game on their own. But I think they will at least pick up a lot of niche titles that maybe wouldn't get localized or published otherwise and bring that to us. That's neat. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about that. I always love companies that do stuff like that. Yeah. It seems like as more and more games are sold digitally versus physically, it seems like this is a, a, a strange archaic uh, remainder of like the old video game world in which that like games just don't get localized all that much. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have, you know, the costs associated with translation and, and, mm -hmm. you know, all, and, you know, making things work regionally, but it just seems weird that, that we're not relying on physical discs anymore. You yeah. can sell a game to anywhere from anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it, hopefully that, you know, the idea of a, of a game getting released somewhere and not somewhere else kind of starts to go away a little bit more. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think this generation has been one of the best in terms of getting a lot of good stuff localized. Right. Uh, this generation and the past generation, it's only been getting better and better. So I just hope that trend continues. I hope so, too. Yeah. I mean, more games for more people is never a bad thing. Agreed. So 
that's the news. It's been kind of a light. I guess I could ask, uh, circling back on something we talked about a little bit ago, Sea of Thieves is now officially out. Yeah. And you had mentioned you may get it through your Xbox game service. I did do that. All right. And, Have uh, you played it yet? Uh, yeah. I guess we can transition to what else we've been playing as a result. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, okay. So I got Sea of Thieves on Xbox Game Pass, and <laughs> and I played it for a while. So I've done two play sessions with this game. The first one was kind of a mess. So <laughs> Seems like that's most people's experience with Sea of Thieves the first time. Yeah, so Sea of Thieves does not have really any cohesive tutorials right. on how to play the game. It just throws you in and says, be a pirate. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Sure. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of clarity on what you're supposed to do. You just have to sort of figure things out on your own and, and through your fellow players. So really, your enjoyment on this game, I think, largely depends on who you've been teamed up with. That makes sense. And the first time I played, I couldn't find my my Xbox headset. So oh, no. so I was just sort of like silently like playing alongside these guys that were all like on mic and I didn't know how to do stuff. So what what happened was like there was this point I'd I'd made multiple mistakes alongside these guys and they're definitely getting very aggravated with me. At one point like I got a treasure, right? And I brought it on the boat, but I didn't know if I was supposed to put it anywhere specific on the boat for it to count as a treasure we collected. <laughs> so I was just sort of running around the ship, like, trying to figure out where to put the treasure. And finally, like, one of the guys is like, Thoris, Thoris, can you put the chest down, please? Can you please put the chest down? <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I can just put it down anywhere. And I put it down, and one of the other players is like, jeez, this guy. And the, fir- <laughs> and the first guy's like, hey, leave him alone. He's he's probably a kid. Oh. <laughs> he's this is probably just like this is probably a ten year old boy playing with us. Be nice to him. So I had this one. So one of my teammates was just pissed that I was such an idiot playing with them, and the other guy had pity for me because he thought I was a little boy. Whereas the truth was somewhere in the middle. <laughs> uh, That's hilarious, but so, also like really aggravating to be on the other end of. Yeah. So. <laughs> So eventually I left because, you know, I realized that me being there, they weren't having a good time and I wasn't having a good time being <laughs> a liability. A boy. Yeah, so I uh <laughs> so I left, but you know, I hope they had a, a better play session after that. And then after that I found my headset and I played with, with a group that I was actually able to communicate with. <laughs> the guy who was sort of calling all the shots was sort of getting our ship sunk a lot. Like after mm-hmm. the after the third time he sunk the ship. A glitch happened in the game where he ended up trapped in the brig. There's, there's a brig system in the game. Sure. There's a brig system in the game where if a character is being an asshole and all three other players on a team decide that he's being disruptive and annoying, they can vote to put him in the ship's brig where he's like basically trapped in jail and he can't do anything. If all three other players vote to put him in the brig, he gets locked in there automatically. So at one point our ship sunk and he sunk at an exact point that he just respawned in the brig with, <laughs> with no way for us to let us let him out uh, besides like voting him into the brig and then voting him back out. Oh, interesting. And this is kind of a silly team and we're kind of just goofing around a lot. So when that happened, I went, I'm sorry, Isildur, this is a mutiny. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I took I took over the ship while he was still in the brig and like sailed it to wherever and uh, the other two guys thought it was funny enough that they didn't vote me into the brig. <laughs> so uh, eventually he got eventually he got out of the brig, 
basically just turned into this loop of us like mutineering like each other and uh it was a very it was a very dumb silly play session there was no like actual ill will we we're just sort of basically role-playing pirates and yeah <laughs> do you think you'll play more that's a good question i did have i did have a surprisingly good fun like dumb piratey time the two times i played and i would definitely i could definitely see myself trying it again I think what would get me to absolutely guaranteed play it again is if I had three other friends to right, play it with. Right. It's it's very hit or miss, it feels, if you're just teamed up with random people. Yeah, I mean, that's true for so many games like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I, playing with matters more than the game itself sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I would I would never team up with randos in Monster Hunter, even though there's right. a lot of good randos in Monster Hunter, you know? Right. We're in agreement on that, on that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I, I only have one piece of advice. I don't. Re- I haven't played Sea of Thieves, and I don't intend to. But I read on Twitter, you should hide your treasure in the crow's nest because if you get raided, no one thinks to look up there. Oh, I, I feel like that's going to be worse advice over time because well, right. eventually everyone's going to get that tip and check the you know, crow's once nest. Once it becomes the meta, then you know the yeah. new meta, <laughs> the Sea of Thieves meta. Hey, uh, no, don't it'll knock it till you try. Yeah, it. No, it'll be real. That'll be a real thing. Sure, wow, it's going to be putting people in the brig <laughs> and mutinying. Oh man. But yeah, I, so I've been playing uh, actually a good handful of stuff because uh, obviously I played Firewatch since that was your recommended game to me last time. And that ended up being a short game. So I had a yeah. lot of time to right. play other stuff. First thing that happened was the Wii Shop channel finally cut off service. Yeah, well, sort of. Uh, you can still buy things on the Wii Shop channel, but you can't add new funds anymore. So effectively, unless you already have funds on there, it's closed. Uh, it'll be that way till January 2019, so I bought a good chunk of stuff and put a little, like, insurance money uh, into the shop uh, in case I missed anything. And Can you get the money out if, if you haven't missed anything? Uh, no, I'll just oh, I'll just okay. have to spend, like, 20 bucks on crap, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Can you transfer it to a different Nintendo service? No. No. Oh, that's frustrating. Yeah. Uh, 2006 Nintendo, everybody. Oh, boy. <laughs> making so many consumer friendly choices but i i got a lot of stuff that i think is very promising and one thing i did was i played through every game in the art style series oh interesting skip limited the team that actually makes the chibi robo games so a team that's very dear to my heart some of your favorite games yeah during the WiiWare years they made a bunch of little experimental puzzle games that are just very bizarre and have very interesting mechanics there's like a game called Roto Hex, where it's kind of like Tetris, where there's a bunch of like different colored like triangles basically that you spin around in a circle, and you want to spin those triangles around until you have a full hexagon of one color, um, and then like that hexagon vanishes and all the triangles like merge and and turn into other hexagons, and it's kind of like weirdly shaped Tetris. Does it use motion controls? Uh, no, uh, none of the art style games use motion controls. They're very simple, like arrows and buttons. Gotcha. Rotohex was surprisingly satisfying. Uh, there was Orbital, this game where you're like you're like a small planet. You absorb other planets of the same size as you until like you're the biggest planet on the map. And basically, like smaller planets will orbit you, and you'll orbit bigger planets. And you uh, you press down the A button to change your gravitational pull. Hmm. Uh, that game was really. Really How long fascinating. Do you do these games? 
Huh? How long are each of these games? I didn't like beat any of them. Oh, you just played snippets of them? Yeah, but okay. they're but they're basically meant to be like very arcadey experiences, and they all have like endless modes. Oh, I see. Um, but there's also like several just stages in each. And yeah, man, those games were like addictive and neat and unique. Some of them were more fun than others. There's this one called Light Tracks where you're sort of this, you're just this line of color that's racing other color lines. And uh, it has very trippy visuals, but it wasn't a very fun video game. <laughs> um, so some of them were misses, but the good stuff was real good. I was really into art style. Do you know what else that studio is working on these days? We have no idea what Skip's working on, oh. but I bet it's going to be some kind of eShop title for the Switch, sure. and it's going to be really weird, and I'm going to be really excited about it. That's my guess. <laughs> Your guess is going to be really excited about it? <laughs> yeah, my, my guess is I'm going to, yeah. They're either making a Chibi Robo game that doesn't feel like Chib the first Chibi Robo game, they're either ruining one of my favorite franchises, or they're making <laughs> cool, weird experimental shit. So I hope, uh, I hope it's the latter. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously my dream would be that they're making Chibi Robo 2 and it feels like the original and it's amazing, but I think it's a, I think a better horse to bet on would just be they're working on something weird. Yeah. Well, the Switch can handle weird, so. Oh man, I love how much the Switch can handle weird. <laughs> oh man. Finally, I played two point-and-click adventure games. Both of them feel very different from each other. Uh, you had a real old school week. Yeah. Well, one of the point and click adventure games was released in 1997. The other was released in 2018. Uh, and I'll talk about the 2018 one first because I'll have less to say about it. <laughs> Detective Pikachu. <laughs> I don't think I realized that that was a point and click adventure game. Uh, it basically is. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Detective Pikachu. It's this game where you're this kid named Tim looking for your father or something and you bump into this pikachu wearing a detective hat <laughs> looking for your father or something yeah uh it's <laughs> like a really dramatic plot <laughs> that you boil down to or something yeah i because it doesn't matter too much <laughs> the, tell that to tim yeah <laughs> uh and he bumps into a pikachu with like a little detective hat that can talk uh with a very non pikachu -y voice like uh hey tim well, hey like let's, let's solve the mystery that tim awful it's great, actually. It's fantastic. Like that, the that Pikachu talking, uh, Detective Pikachu's voice actually cracks me the hell up. It sounds like the uh, stuff of nightmares. <laughs> there's, there's a mechanic where while you're exploring around, the Pikachu will like try to signal you, like try to get your attention to to something important, and you just go like, "Hey, hello, over here." <laughs> Someone should um hack that onto navi <laughs> that would be amazing i would love that who basically the game plays like uh like baby's first ace attorney basically oh boy it's a very simple very easy visual novel game where you're sort of looking at stuff to to solve mysteries like uh like where the ipom go with the jewelry they stole uh tim can interrogate humans and pikachu can interrogate pokemon that makes sense you know, yeah, who doesn't get interrogated by a child? <laughs> and it's it's really cute. It's a really cute game. Been sort of playing through with Amy, and we we found a Murkrow that that took the jewels and is sort of denying that they have them. And that's where we stopped. We're still pretty early in the game. That's a cute game. I'm. You think you're gonna finish it? 
maybe eventually. You at least it's, finish the Murkrow. Yeah, like it's like that game's probably lower priority on my sure. finish list because uh, it's not it's not the most riveting thing I've played, but it is very cute. And, and if, you love Pokemon, yeah, so it doesn't take a lot. Exactly, yeah. If if you like Pokemon and you like Ace Attorney games and you're okay with an Ace Attorney game being incredibly easy, yeah, grab Detective Pikachu. I think it's worth it. And what's the uh, point and click from 1997 you've been playing? This week, Steam released just out of nowhere, Curse of Monkey Island. Yeah, yeah, they, they did like a whole bundle. Uh, yeah, yeah, they um they bundled it with the with the remakes of the first two games, Secret of Monkey Island and Monkey Island Two: LeChuck's Revenge. Unlike those two, uh, Curse of Monkey Island isn't a remake. It's just a it's just a port that you can play on modern computers. Uh, it's it's actually just like an emulator running the original Scum VM engine. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I never thought this would happen. Yeah. I thought I thought Curse of Monkey Island was lost to time. I thought I'd never be able to play it. I'd never be able to buy it from a modern service ever again. Because people tend to prioritize the first two games, which sure. were made by Ron Gilbert. And, and Curse of Monkey Island was not made by him, so people tend to value it less and and think it's a less essential game. But it's my favorite game in the Monkey Island series. I love it. How many times have you played it at this point? This will probably be like my fourth or fifth time playing it. Um, Maybe more. Because I I did play that game a not small amount of times when I was like 12 or 13 years old. (laughs) This this game is like a formative game for me. It, (laughs) It really shaped a lot of my sense of humor we both have formative lucas arts point and click adventure games but they're different yours is day of the tentacle yeah I, I love that game that game is amazing it's it's good it's it's a funny game i love the time travel mechanic so i played crystal monkey island to introduce amy to it well partially to introduce amy to it and also just to bask in that sweet sweet monkey island nostalgia i kind of figured that because it's such an old game that it would have shown its age yeah it holds up so well still. It still holds well, that's up. That's the great thing about point and click yeah. adventure games. They don't like you don't have to worry about the mechanics going bad. Yeah. You know? That's a good point. But I don't know, some uh, some point and click adventure games are very archaic, I think. You, you know? know, that's true. I did play Grim Fandango when it came out on PSN uh for uh PS plus. Yeah. And it does not hold up super well. I think because it's a three D game. Yeah, that's fair. Even the the remakes of the first two Monkey Island games I played those and went, I'm having a good time, but this is an old game. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. is an old, they put a nice little coat of paint on it and everything, but it, this is an old game. Curse of Monkey Island, I'm just, I'm just home, man. This, that <laughs> game is just still so good. It's still so well written, and the interface, the interface is similar to the interface of Full Throttle, where they sort of like put a, put a lot of the actions you can do to hotkeys and stuff. I have a Steam controller, so I sort of mapped everything to a controller, oh, I and I can just, like, press the down arrow to talk to something. I can press the right arrow to pick something up or use it. And, yeah, like, the gameplay holds up, and the visuals uh, it uses this this cartoony, like, hand-animated style, and that still looks pretty good. Some some of the animation's gotten a little rough around the edges, sure. but that's, that's still a great-looking game. And the voice acting... <laughs> I think that the voice acting still holds up really well, but this might be a rose-tinted glasses scenario it where I have be. nostalgia. Amy thinks that the voice acting is pretty bad, with the exception of Guybrush Threepwood. Oh, that's yeah. Sad. Was this one that Tim Schafer worked on? Yeah, Curse was written by two other guys. I I'm forgetting the names right now. 
But yeah, the original creators of Monkey Island weren't involved with Curse at all, so people think it's a lesser game as a sure. result. Uh, no, I, I think it's the best one. It's the funniest Monkey Island. It's got a lot of really great iconic moments. It's just so cleverly written, and yeah, that's that's still super dear and close to my heart. And I I should say that <laughs> that Amy sees sees that it's a 1997 game more than I do, <laughs> but she she does love the humor. She loves the writing, and uh, there's a lot of points where she just like pointed at something that happened in the game. Is like this is just you, Daniel. Yeah, this, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is. <laughs> Yeah. More so than any other games, I would say those games are you. <laughs> and I also do think that of the LucasArts uh, point-and-click adventure games, they are the funniest yeah. on the whole. Yeah. Like, I think Day of the Tentacle is still my favorite, and I think Grim Fandango is more groundbreaking, but like, but I think those are the funniest for sure. Yeah. Yeah, especially Curse. And I, I think Guybrush is a great foil for the ridiculous characters in those games. He really is. And Dominic Amato, the guy who voices him, just... Knocks that voice out of the park. He is the perfect Irish Reaput voice. Just kind of, kind of cartoony, and everything just sort of rolls off of him. You know, yeah. like yeah, he's a great straight man and a great yes. The whole time, this has actually secretly been a Monkey Island podcast. <laughs> we just finally opened that Pandora's box. <laughs> if you if you want to check out like these old school point and click games, if you haven't experienced something like that, I would definitely recommend curse of monkey island even though it's the third game in the series and it does kind of start directly after the events of the second <laughs> game curse of monkey island was my first game yeah, yeah uh, it might have been mine too yeah it was my first monkey island game and i still ended up loving that experience even with some of the callbacks and the references that i didn't get at the which time which is rare for you uh, yeah uh, actually it's funny monkey island may have inadvertently been part of what made me go well I do get a lot of satisfaction out of knowing what these references yeah, are. Yeah. And that was one of the first games where I went back and I played the first two games so I could get the jokes that call back to it in 3. But I can admit that that wasn't necessary for me to already love 3. Yeah. 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 Uh, have you been playing anything? You know, actually, I haven't. Uh, we talked on the last episode about the kind of the video game burnout I was experiencing. So yeah. I took these two weeks off from video games, and it was yeah. kind of amazing. I <laughs> yeah. read a book, which I hadn't had time to do in a while. Oh, nice. And that was a great experience. What was the book? Uh, it's a book called uh, Evicted by Matthew Desmond. It's mm. a nonfiction. It's, uh, Matthew Desmond is a Harvard sociologist, I believe. Oh. And it's a in-depth look at uh, poverty in America uh, through the process of eviction and the cycle of poverty that evicted people end up in. Oh, geez. Um, and how systemically uh, our country is set up to, uh, you know, not break that cycle of poverty. Um, he specifically focuses on uh, Milwaukee, uh, I believe in like the early to late aughts. Mm -hmm. um, but the lessons learned can be applied to any, you know, sufficiently large American city. Man. And he spends like time both in uh, a poor black community and a poor white community and, he does like a really great job of showing the difference that poverty makes while not overly inserting himself into the narrative so that it feels like the story of the people he's with. It's personable and it's interestingly written, but it, it doesn't feel gossipy. It doesn't feel like tabloidy. You know, it feels like a, right. um, an honest retelling of people's lived experiences. Uh, and it's a, just a really strong and incredible viewpoint into the world of eviction. Um, which I think we all have a responsibility to learn about because it's freaking horrible. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, it won the Pulitzer in 2016. It was on, uh, you know, President Obama's list of like best books. Oh, nice. Um, so definitely if that sort of situation interests you at all, highly, highly, highly recommend. It's a very good book. Yeah, that does sound both really amazing and depressing as a hell. Yeah, it is fairly depressing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But it's really good. Nice. And other than that, I've also been binging The Office. Um, I'm up to season five now. Nice. Uh, Stephanie was out of town um, a lot last week, so I just kind of vegged out and watched a lot of The Office. Uh, Rain Wilson is acting in a play at the theater I work at right now, and so it <laughs> felt like rewatching him as Dwight would be fun to do. And, it, and I, that turned out to be correct. I had nice. forgotten how committed he was in that role. And like, yeah, so yeah. much of what makes that show work is obviously Steve Carell's commitment as Michael Scott. But equally important to that show working is Rain Wilson's commitment to the character of Dwight and how ridiculous Dwight is in leading into that. <laughs> yeah. Because without that, John, uh, John Krasinski as Jim wouldn't work. Yeah, like, yeah, you you're right. You need that foil for him to feel so uh, understandable and lovable. You absolutely do. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that Dwight... I mean, I think Dwight's a fan favorite to start, but yeah. even even with that, he might be kind of an underrated character. I think the same thing. I was saying that to yeah. Stephanie. She's like, but people love Dwight. I'm like, yeah, but... I I don't think we 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 appreciate him enough. Yeah, and what he does for the show. Yes, I I just watched uh, the two part episode where Jim and Dwight are on the party planning committee together, and their <laughs> dynamic is just it's like amazing. Yeah, it grows into this ridiculous and fun relationship, and you can feel how they grew for each actor. And like, oh god, uh -huh. it's so good. It's great stuff. That's awesome. I <laughs> I think a minimum of once per year, I just stumble upon like a compilation of Jim pranking Dwight <laughs> yeah. and I end up watching the whole thing every time <laughs> yeah. because it's always so good. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love the, the joke particularly where some other guy just replaces Jim. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Asian Jim. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just, yeah. He just pretends to be Jim and, and Dwight's like, what? you're, you're not Jim. Jim's not Asian. And it's like, you, you haven't noticed all this time. Good on you for not seeing race. <laughs> uh yeah it's the pranks that they came up with and sustained for nine seasons is pretty impressive yeah i think within that though my favorite my favorite jim prank moment is actually i think it's at the end of season two right before uh jim decides to go to to the stanford branch yeah uh because of pam but also because he and dwight are in like a disciplinary meeting with michael and they're reading through all of his pranks <laughs> and like as the episode goes jim gets more and more deflated uh -huh. and he starts off retelling these pranks really elatedly and like yeah. that was funny right yeah and then he's like oh my god when you say them back to back it doesn't sound that fun does it <laughs> and like though the show then undoes that later on by like, yeah. having him continue to do pranks right. it's such an important moment in the show for me where like jim realizes he's kind of a monster <laughs> yeah. and that he's not just getting retaliation at dwight for being like a weirdo he's perpetuating the problem yeah he's he is kind of a bully yeah, yeah. exactly it's mm -hmm. it's I, things like that are why I love that show and why I think that show is so such a moment in American like TV history. Yeah, because it was really funny, uh, but you really understood these characters and these characters were so fully lived. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's been great rewatching it because I haven't rewatched it since it ended. And the last season, as everyone knows, was kind of a bummer season. Yeah, yeah, uh, and the last couple seasons before that were also not super great. <laughs> yeah, but I've got about two more seasons before it starts to get rough. So okay, well, cool. That's good to hear. Um. Uh, since since we're like in a brief TV section, yeah. <laughs> a rare TV section of our Watch podcast. Watch this. <laughs> I just uh, started season two of a series of unfortunate events. 
just watched the first the Netflix uh, version. Yeah, just uh, just watched the first two episodes of the new season last night, and that show's still incredible. I haven't watched season one yet, but I, I would like to. Yeah. Oh man, that that series is so good. It's is very faithful to the books, and they just really nail the tone. All the acting is great. Those child actors are perfect. Yeah. And uh, and I I was a bit tentative about Neil Patrick Harris's Count Olaf, but I think he pulls it off. I actually didn't realize it was it had a second season. Yeah, uh, second season just launched very recently. Like, uh, we're recording this the day after it premiered. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Spe- I mean, if we're going to keep plugging TV, I'll also say uh, season two of Atlanta has just started. Ooh. So if anyone out there has not watched Atlanta, it is... Including me. It is must-watch television. Donald Glover is doing just ridiculously incredible things with the format lakeith stanfield is like my new favorite actor hmm. uh season one of atlanta is one of my favorite seasons of television of wow. all time and season two got off to a pretty great start we've only seen uh one episode so far but it's amazing so i i definitely need to get definitely need to watch atlanta yeah. it's so good okay sweet and that's our tv segment <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've been playing, or in my case, not playing uh, these last two weeks. Yeah. So, Daniel, you ready to talk about some Firewatch? Oh, you know I'm ready to talk about some Firewatch. You're reaching into your pocket to find my notes. To find your notes that you keep in your pocket. They're on my phone. I know. <laughs> just, just I like pull like a full notepad out of my jean pocket. <laughs> I was imagining you're pulling like a poster board out. You made like a presentation. <laughs> Firewatch. So is... as. Oops, sorry, I didn't cut you off. Firewatch no, is no. Finish that joke. I, I, I was just, like, Firewatch is fine. Like it's just <laughs> written like across the whole piece of cardboard. That joke wasn't worth keeping. Go yeah, on. You know what? I'm glad we went there together. <laughs> so as discussed, um, when we talked about recommending Firewatch, Firewatch uh, was the first game by Campo Santo Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a kind of an adventure narrative interactive game i don't know it's hard to kind of categorize yeah yeah um yeah not quite like a visual novel but it has right. a lot in common with one yeah it's like a visual novel where you are instead of yeah i don't know it's a visual novel but it's not a novel yeah <laughs> it's um, a video game <laughs> yeah narrative adventure game i think fits it pretty you well know, let's call it a narrative adventure game firewatch yeah. is a narrative adventure game <laughs> where you play as a uh a volunteer uh, park member, uh, not a volunteer, I guess, I guess he's working for them, but a yeah. new park service member yeah. who is assigned uh, to like an overnight station in the, in the national park. Yeah. And you are discovering the national park and you are finding out mysteries that have happened in that park. Yeah. It's set in the eighties, seventies, seventies or eighties. Yeah. yeah. Like that kind of era. Yeah. I want to say eighties. And um, it's got a very unique visual style. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons I recommended this game to Daniel is because uh, we both enjoyed the trailer for In the Valley of Gods, which is uh, Campo Santo's uh, uh, sophomore effort. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it kind of com- it continues that that unique visual style I think they got a lot of uh, recognition for. I think Fire- when Fire- Firewatch kind of had a moment when it first came out that maybe yeah. wasn't kind of maybe the game didn't live up to that moment, but yeah. I think people got really excited about it first because new studio, new game, yeah. um, but also because it looked so beautiful and so unique and so different. And it does look beautiful. That is a beautiful game. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I guess before we start talking about the game, we like to do our quick and dirty thoughts. Um, Daniel, uh, break it down. 
so I think Firewatch is a really interesting game, and I'm really glad that I played it. I think it's definitely a game that's worth experiencing, and it does so many cool things that I don't see in a lot of other video games that make me happy that I've experienced this. <laughs> it's funny, I think more than anything else, this game just excites me for In the Valley of the Gods. Right. Because the thing with Firewatch is that it does have plenty of flaws and plenty of things that sort of deflated my experience. And I think In the Valley of the Gods, they sort of have already realized some of the things that weren't so great about Firewatch. And I feel like this will be a great opportunity for them to to fix that and, and really make In the Valley of the Gods uh, a superb game because... Firewatch is the start of something superb. Yes. I think that's the best way for me to put it. I agree with that assessment. There's there's a lot about it that definitely make me say this isn't a great game. But it's like Picasso's first painting. Like maybe <laughs> maybe Picasso's first painting was kind of garbage, but you could probably see like you know, you could probably see where he was going with that and and how he would become an amazing artist. Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll follow that metaphor. <laughs> so yeah, I I think Firewatch is the start of something great. And I think there is a lot that's already great about Firewatch. Yeah. But a lot that's stupid and I'll be happy to talk about that with you. Yeah, and I think this is um a short game, probably yeah. beat it in 8 to 10 hours, I would guess. Uh yeah. Yeah. Heck, maybe like maybe even less. like 6 hours, yeah. yeah. 6 hours. It's a short game, so there uh it's hard to have a conversation about this game. Uh, and not talk about spoilers just because, you know, there's not a lot else to talk about. So yeah. if you're worried about spoiling this game, uh, once again, reference um, Daniel's lovingly crafted uh, notes in the uh, notes section with the timestamps. Yeah. And uh, jump to wherever you'd like to be. But we're going to start talking about uh, Firewatch kind of in earnest here. So yeah. uh, just be forewarned. <laughs> so I guess I'll start by saying, uh, I'm kind of reiterating what I mentioned in the last episode which is why i wanted to recommend this game to you in addition to um uh to thinking that you'd want to play it before you played in the valley of the gods uh i i do think that there's a, a really interesting conversation to have about video games as a genre in playing firewatch yeah uh, because i think they like you kind of were getting to i think they were on the cusp of so many things and then they just didn't follow through all the way <laughs> yeah and they really could have and had a very different experience and we'll get into that a little bit yeah. um but i think that it's just one of those games that it does stick with you in a way that um for both positive and negative reasons, but I think it is a game that engenders an interesting conversation. So I guess that's kind of like, I don't know, maybe putting pressure on the podcast to then be interesting and maybe we'll hear about that. But I do think that um, it's a, it's a, though it's a short game and, and there's not really any gameplay to talk about. I do think that there's some, some fun stuff in there to discuss. So I agree. Yeah. So I think uh, to get the conversation started, there's not really a conversation we had about gameplay, which is I think usually where we start when we talk about video games for this podcast is yeah. how the game plays, how that works, whether or not it works. Right. But uh, the gameplay in Firewatch is you walk around, you climb, sometimes you run. Yeah. Although there was stuff about the gameplay that I I ended up kind of enjoying. One thing I thought was kind of cool about Firewatch as I played through it was it was sort of a low-key Metroidvania game. Oh, interesting. Break that down for me. So... Basically, in Firewatch, you're you're exploring this forest, and there's a lot of parts in the forest you can't get to uh, right. right away. But as you explore more, you'll you'll find tools that you end up keeping. Right. You know, you start up with some rope that you like tie to rocks, so you can like go down to like uh, places that are too far to jump down to. You uh, 
later in the game you get like an axe and then you can cut through like obstructions and like and you know break locks on on gates and things the realization that this was secretly a bit of a metroidvania game was like a point near the very end of the game where i needed to explore this cave but i needed like some anchors to tie a rope to so that because i there was nothing natural that i could tie the rope onto and uh and i found some anchors and then like i find a crack in the wall i put the anchor in the wall and then i hammer it into the the crack with my axe that i got earlier and then like i tie the rope to that <laughs> like i just use all of my yeah. tools for this one thing it's like oh Oh, this is... They played Metroid. <laughs> uh, and that was actually really satisfying yeah. when, when I was using all of my tools for this one, like, exploration-based endeavor. Yeah, and I will say, I think that that sense of progression <clears throat> the game had is one of the positives of the game. Yeah. That, like, there is this large forest open to you, yeah. but you don't know how to explore it at first because you don't... You're a new park ranger. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the, the theme fit the game really well, I thought. Yeah. And finding new ways to explore the world was really exciting yes um you know there's a map and there's a compass i believe but there's no there's no hud yeah so you've got to you as a gamer you have to learn the forest so you can know so you know where you're going yeah and actually when i started playing i was actually really frustrated because yeah. i got lost yeah a lot during that early part of the game and then i was finally like like how do I, I i guess i'll just look at this map okay where am i on the map okay let me pull out the compass right. and then like it the game without actually like using a tutorial or anything Basically, the game made me learn how to navigate this forest like I would navigate a real forest. I had a map and a compass out, and I was actually, like, figuring out where I was based right. on those two things. And by the end of the game, I knew the forest really well, yeah. and I, was, I wasn't getting lost as much anymore. And, like, it made me feel smart. I'm like, oh, cool, I know this right. forest. I figured it out. Uh, and that was actually also really cool. An yeah, initially, initially something that, like, I was like, this game needs to be more clear about where I am. And then I was like, oh... This is the point. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that that's really satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. And once you kind of give into that, which you, we're not conditioned to do as gamers, we're not conditioned yeah. to like try to memorize things and learn things. We're conditioned to be told how to do that. Yeah. Especially in this generation of games. Yes, especially I, this generation. I think of games. in the NES, SNES game, right. modern games. Yeah. Let's say modern games. Yeah. And um, th but that's really satisfying. And, and I think the world is never too big. Yeah. I think it's actually perfectly sized. Yeah. By the end of the eight hours, you can, or six hours, you hold all of that information in your head. Yeah. Um, which I think is impressive that they, they figured out the right size to do that in. Yeah, I agree completely. And that was, that was one of the, the sort of the bold things that that game does yeah. that, that really paid off. And I think yeah. they really did that well. And I think as we get into more conversations, I think that's the sort of strength that they should have leaned into more in the game <laughs> rather than some of the other things they did. But we'll, we'll get into that as we get there. Yeah. So that's kind of the gameplay. I mean, you do, yeah. you walk around, you navigate the forest, you uh, listen to your companion on the walkie talkie. We'll get into that when we talk about plot. Yeah. Um, and you play the part of this park ranger busting up, you know, people swimming in the nude <laughs> and, uh, you know, checking out fires and yeah. 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 And you do this all with this first person perspective right, right. where you sort of get to see this very beautifully rendered forest and that that was really good too. Like that was a good looking game. It's yeah, you want to talk about presentation? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah, um, man, that that was such a good looking game. <laughs> the game both looked really good and really 
the best part of the presentation. I don't think you can avoid talking about this is the voice acting. I, so this was a, a reason I didn't say it was a secret reason. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I recommend this game to you is because I think it has the best voice acting in any game I've ever heard in my life. It's, it's incredible. It really is. Uh, 99% of the voice acting is between two characters. Yeah. The protagonist, the character you play, his name is Henry. He's a man who, who just started his job here. And the second character is Delilah. Uh, his boss, who he communicates with via walkie-talkie that you have. Right. You, have, you never meet Delilah. You just hear her over the walkie-talkie. Yeah. You know, as you talk, you get to decide what he says in the walkie-talkie most of the time. You get to decide whether or not he reports certain things to her. And that's part of the gameplay. And I think that's actually pretty well done, too. Yeah, I think uh, it doesn't have any effect on the outcome of the game, uh, what choices you make to to share with her or not. Uh, but there's a lot of sharing of of Henry's private life that you get to decide for Henry, and, yeah, and how much of that you share with her. And I would say it doesn't affect it doesn't affect the full outcome of the game. It doesn't affect how the game ends, but some of the decisions you make will create like small ripples in the game. Sure. And and like for example, there's there's a part of the game where where Delilah is like asking you what you look like because she's she's bored in her office and she's drawing you and you can describe yourself in like multiple different ways she can be like do you have a beard and you can be like yeah i got kind of a big one right now actually or you can be like nah i I shaved recently i don't have that beard anymore and that will affect how you look in the rest of the game (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. that's true those are those little things are so smart that they that they incorporated yeah uh, um, I, I want to just point out the voice actors because we're talking about how great they were. Yes. Uh, so Henry was voiced by Rich Summer, and Rich is primarily a, a film actor. He yeah. He uh, most well-known for uh, Mad, Mad Men. Men. Yeah, yeah, he was in all seasons of Mad Men. He's also a huge board gamer, um, so I know <laughs> him from that community. Well, I don't know him personally, but I know him from that community. He's been on Tabletop. He's been on um, oh, nice. Game Night, which is a YouTube series that Board Game Geek does. Um, okay. And he's great. He's I don't know if this is the first game he was in or not, but I mean, he just completely blew it out of the water. He He's really incredible. His performance was was top notch. It really was. And Delilah, who who's Delilah? Delilah was played by Sissy Jones, um, <laughs> who is known from uh, Life is Strange, and she's in Destiny Two. Oh, nice. And she's also in uh, The Walking Dead. Right. That's oh, right. Okay. And she's also incredible. Yeah. No. Like the dynamic between the two of them is. I mean, I have no words. Yeah, really. it it's really fantastic. They're they both play these roles so incredibly well, and their their chemistry is so believable. Yeah, and and organic and natural. It makes the setting, uh, it makes the game that you're playing feel real. It feels just so natural to be in the setting because of just a lot of the incidental dialogue between these two characters. The incidental dialogue is beautiful, and I I also do love the dialogue trees. Yeah. Um, because this is the power of having good voice acting tied into having a dialogue tree. It makes you want to make better choices about what the character is going to say. Yeah. Because hearing it is so fulfilling and so enriching. Huh. It's not just like, oh, you know, I'm just going to talk, throw this toss away line out there. Right. Each, you know, each line is going to be so fully delivered and so fully lived and realized yeah. that it like it makes each choice feel more important to me. Yeah. I'm um, just knowing that it has that voice acting power behind it. Yeah. And so I really, there is a timer on your responses. And if you don't choose a response uh, within that time, you just say nothing. Yeah. And that can sometimes be a power of narrative choice as well. Yeah. A yeah. Powerful narrative choice rather. Uh, but <laughs> it did make me take most of the time each time. Cause I was really thinking like, 
what is this going to sound like when Rich Summer delivers it? Yeah. You know, how is this going to come across? Not only what story am I personally crafting here, Mm -hmm. but, you know, what is the interplay between these two characters and how will they respond to it? Mm. And it just, this game would not have, you know, this game doesn't work in some ways, but the ways in which it does work, only it only works because the voice acting is that good. Yeah. This would not be a game I would recommend, despite the other things it does, if the mm. voice acting weren't good, because it's so important to the to the game. Yeah. No, it's it's one of the, the best, most integral parts of this game. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Well, I think there's a few other things in presentation we can cover. Okay. Since we're, you know, talking about that real quick. Okay. Um, I think we touched on how, how the art is, but mm-hmm. it's a really gorgeous game. Yeah. Um, Watching the sunset in the park is... Oh super beautiful yeah i like i didn't realize that it happened this game has sort of a real-time element to it yeah like at one point like i stopped in front of the sunset which did look amazing and i stopped to like write some notes down about what i thought about the game and then i looked up and the sun had set (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was like oh oh oh." and and yeah no that that game looks gorgeous like at any time of the day though it does and when yeah when the sun's high and you get all the oranges and yellows it's really beautiful um i do i one thing i did kind of notice about this game one thing that sort of occurred to me as i played through it is that the people developing this game uh were very aware that they were excellent at creating environments and Mm. and backgrounds and they were much less confident about their ability to render a person in a setting <laughs> that looks like it fit in that setting. Yeah. Because first of all, uh <laughs> here's my least favorite part of my of the presentation. Uh you can sort of look down at like part of your character model. Right. Uh and your arms just look so stupid. <laughs> I like, never noticed that. Yeah, like uh <laughs> like sometimes you'll be walking and you'll see your arms like go up and the the way the arms move is just completely unnatural. It looks like he's just sort of like doing like the monkey like as he walks. <laughs> How do you know that's not what he's doing? All the time? <laughs> and and his his arms just like they just look so out of place. Like it's you look at that character model, you and it's so clear part of the reason why you never see another living person <laughs> in that game. I do uh, think this is somewhat hypocritical though, Daniel, because if you became a park ranger, you would just walk around doing the monkey all the time, just entertain yourself. <laughs> That's that's fair, but Henry is not me. <laughs> Henry is not you. Good point. <laughs> There's one person that you see face to face, and that's at the very end of the game when someone like lets you onto the helicopter, and they're completely covered in body armor because they do not want you to see that person's <laughs> face. <laughs> I never noticed that. That's really that's a really interesting point. Yeah, and like sometimes you'll see like photos and like you know pictures of people, but they're all done in this cartoony style that wouldn't. Uh, that wouldn't make sense if you saw that in front of you in this right. very realistic foresty setting. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I think what they did there was actually incredibly smart. My attention was sort of drawn to that pretty early on. The fact that the fact is like, oh, these guys aren't good at making human models, and therefore I'm probably not going to see any while I play this <laughs> game. And I was right. Uh, but they just made a story where that wasn't really necessary, right. and they uh, and when they did have to show a person that they were very creative about it like uh like the teen girls that you told off like you just see their silhouettes in the distance yeah. and and you can't go near them or uh you see a corpse at one point and like it's it's decayed to the point where it doesn't like it doesn't have to look like right. a real person right they were very cleverly using the tools that they had and i think Absolutely. that's really cool yeah 
I think one final point I want to make about the presentation as well <clears throat> is I think um, they captured the atmosphere super, super well. Yeah. Um, like at nighttime, the forest feels pretty spooky. Yeah. And some of that's because uh, part of the story is kind of a, you know, a suspense. You know, there's, there, there are some elements of, <laughs> yeah. of, of like horror that they play with yeah i uh, never is a full-out horror game right but, uh, yeah, but they the, do have your hackles raised yeah they there there are some sort of like thriller elements yeah right but they they do a good job of changing the way the forest feels in the light versus in the dark yes um and it definitely feels like a different game when you're walking around at night than, than versus when you're walking around when the sun's out yeah and that is definitely true to life like yeah, being in a yeah. forest is a really creepy thing at night <laughs> and it's a really like amazing thing during the day yeah um so i i really appreciated that and that obviously ties into the narrative that they're trying to tell which is which is like i said kind of suspenseful so yeah uh but i i did appreciate that all of those elements combined the sound the light the color uh yeah. they, they were able to change the atmosphere yeah yeah i agree with that i have one less uh thing i'd like to say about the presentation there's a point in the game where you sort of walk to a camp that other rangers uh were using uh and you go to a part of their camp where it was clearly they were using that area as a bathroom like there's toilet paper and like a trowel and if you pick up the trowel You'll just see a single small little piece of poop on it. Oh god, I didn't know that. I don't think I did that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, this game has a poop trowel in it. And uh that was just I I guess I just try to my larger point is that there's a lot of attention to detail in this game. Yeah. Definitely. And sometimes weird detail. <laughs> yeah, sometimes very weird detail. But they they really put everything under a microscope and they tell so many small details uh just without saying a word and and that's why i think the the presentation especially is excellent i agree and one last point just to bring it back to in the valley of the gods mm -hmm. uh definitely at least in a fully rendered trailer it looks like mm -hmm. they fixed some of their animation issues because those bodies look totally normal <laughs> yeah no oh man the the character models in in the valley of the gods look so good and i'm really looking forward to seeing that character interaction like in person yeah me too yeah and i will say um if you're listening out there and the in the valley of the gods trailer intrigued you you should just play firewatch because uh so much of the visual style is the same yeah uh, the, the location is obviously different and the characters are different but mm -hmm. the visual style is definitely like something that they're putting their stamp on yeah i'd say in the valley of the gods looks like it's going to be a spiritual successor to yeah. firewatch mm -hmm. you know obviously not directly connected in any way doesn't look like it's going it's not to be a sequel it looks like there's going to be a lot of the style they put into Firewatch. Well, which is something that's always nice to see from a young studio or a new studio. They create a brand, a visual brand, you know? Yeah. Sometimes there are studios who just do kind of whatever interests them. And sometimes there are studios that, like, this is what we like to do. This is our aesthetic. Yeah. And it's nice to see that they're developing that. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I both really love that they, they're sort of creating their own very distinct identity. Right. And also not just, like churning out sequels you know right, right. like i think it would be very easy for them to be like uh firewatch 2 it takes place in the 90s uh <laughs> henry's living in his rv now <laughs> i think it'd be very easy for them to try to make a sequel to you know cash in on that brand but instead they make a totally new game that just has a lot in common with firewatch and i think that's great yeah because firewatch i think had pretty mixed critical reviews but it did sell very well 
So, yes. like, you know, if you looked at a budget sheet, you could make the argument that they should just do a Firewatch 2 and just right. call it a day. Right. But the fact that, like you said, they're trying a different story is really exciting. Yeah, I agree with that. So let's talk about the story. <laughs> this is where yeah. Firewatch both could have shined and also falls, I think, in a lot of ways. I agree with that, yeah. Because we've had nothing but nice things to say about so much of Firewatch, but the narrative is where that will happen less. Yeah. So the the general gist of the plot, and Daniel, jump in at any point because you've played this game a lot more recently than I have. Mm-hmm. So as you start off with Henry, um, it, you know, his his first night in the tower, the game doesn't play over a sequence of nights. It kind of plays over a long time and you jump ahead at various times in the story. One point, someone throws like a cinder block through his window of mm-hmm. the of the park ranger tower. Mm-hmm. And that's when like kind of this mystery stuff starts to kick in. Yeah. And you're going through the park and you're finding clues about uh, some sort of mysterious activity yeah. um, that seems to get closer and closer to Henry himself. Yeah. Um, at one point, someone from behind knocks you out unconscious yeah. and you wake back up, I believe, in the tower again. Yeah. And it becomes clear that you're being monitored. Right. Like you, you and Delilah, like someone is, is some, someone is tapping your conversations and taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to convince Delilah that this is happening. I don't remember what her reaction to that is. Uh, she believes you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, initially, she's like, what? No, that sounds crazy. And then she very much believes you over, over the course of the game. So the game throws in a bunch of red herrings. Um, you have <laughs> the girls who catch skinny dipping, and I think they also have fireworks, and yeah. they become maybe a culprit. And then you find government testing grounds and yeah. that becomes a red herring that maybe it was the government and the government's tracking you. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's maybe also a supernatural component that could be happening. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's, <laughs> yeah, the, the game sort of teases multiple possibilities right. of how you're being tracked. The, the first is that, yeah, the government is tracking you because this is a social experiment and right. they're seeing how you two interact with each other. Uh, the second is that the girls... Uh, near the beginning of the game, who you sort of uh, scare off when they're skinny dipping, missing person reports go out for them, and the last their last known lo- location was near that forest. You and Delilah sort of form a theory that law enforcement is tracking you guys because they think that you killed them or something, and they're trying to find out how responsible you are for these girls going missing. And the third is aliens. <laughs> the third, they, they tease a little bit that it could be aliens or something. And I think this is where we can start to talk about some of the weaknesses of being a young studio, where mm-hmm. it really does feel like the writers were throwing everything against the wall and seeing what would stick. Yeah. And they were trying to tell the story that was way too big and much bigger than it needed to be. Yeah. And they got lost in that, I think. Yeah. No, like, <sighs> the the thing is, like, yeah, they, they throw all these potential twists at you, all these suspenseful red herrings. And what it actually ends up being, uh, the person tracking you is is a homeless guy living in the forest whose son died while he was a ranger there. So he sort of disappeared. He went radio dark and and uh, and no one ever saw him again because he's been hiding in the forest. And his son's body is just at the bottom of a cave in this forest. And Ned... Uh, the boy's father didn't want you to discover the kid's body, uh, didn't want you to find out about him, so he's he's monitoring you and Delilah's conversations and throwing all these other possibilities at you, like he's forging these government documents right. and he's and he's he's sending 
uh, rumors to other rangers. It was like, hey, uh, apparently the cops are looking for you. You know, like he's basically just stirring the pot. And <laughs> and not only is this one of the worst twists I've experienced in a game, it's like a parody right. of twists and stories. Like, <laughs> like it's like who's who's tracking who's tracking our voices? Is it the government? Is it the police? No, it's I, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the problem is, for me, that they took what could have been a really deep and emotional story. Like, the idea of a father who is a park ranger yeah. losing his son, you know, feeling responsible for his son's death. Yeah. And it was kind of an abusive relationship, too. He wasn't a very good dad. Right. Yeah. You find all these, like, uh, you find one of the kids' hideouts and you find, like, all these things that he had written and, yeah. you know, kind of how he related his life. Yeah, uh, and how he escaped from his life. Yeah, but they took this kind of this story that could have been really emotional, really deep, really sad, really affecting. Yeah, and by inserting the government and aliens, they <laughs> yeah. perverted it before they even before it even happened. Yeah. So by the time the actual twist came, it didn't feel emotional. It didn't feel deep. It didn't feel you weren't connected to it. Yeah, exactly. They they did they pulled a lost man. <laughs> yes, they did pull a lost. <laughs> they. They had this great story, and they just got so caught up in the mystery right. and like and making you anticipate the solution to right. a mystery that they forgot to just tell a story. Tell a story. Tell a nice, sad story about a father losing his son and you getting mixed up in it. Which is like hard enough to do if you're lost and you have six seasons to do it. And Lost didn't do that all that well, as you know you can tell from our opinion. Yeah, but when you're trying to shove that into six hours. That's even harder yeah. because you're yanking the the viewer around so much. Like, yeah. it's, oh, one second it's the police, one second it's aliens, one second it's the government. Yeah, you're taking you're it packing too much into yeah. too small a package. Yeah, the the actors do a great job at selling this paranoia and and this right. feeling that they're being watched by the government or the police or whatever, and they freak out so much that you get caught up in some of that. And then it turns out that it's Ned, the the homeless, homeless dad. Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's like, wow, you got me worked up for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like... It, it's so... The the game is just incredibly anticlimactic. That story yes. is so anticlimactic. That's a really good way to put it. And yeah. so one of the reasons I asked you to play this game was so that I could make publicly a point I've been thinking about since I played the game. Okay. Which is... This is going to be a little bit of a story, so settle in, kids. All right. When I... When <laughs> okay. I <put> <laughs> Some kids don't fall down a hole. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, when I first played this game, uh, so the theater I work at, at the same time, uh, we did a show called The Flick by Annie Baker, which is a really great show that Daniel actually came and saw with me. It's incredible. That's so good. So The Flick is a three and a half hour long show uh, where about half of it is silence. And what interestingly what happens when audiences come to the show is there's a really strong divide somewhat generationally between people who love it and people who get really strangely angry at the theater <laughs> for producing it yeah and it's this weird thing that happens where people don't like seeing silence on stage it really disquiets them it makes them uncomfortable mm -hmm. on some level and i think some of it's also an empathy issue like i think the flick tells a story about these three young people who are working at a movie theater yeah uh there's uh you know a guy who's been working there for a while there's a girl who's been working for a little bit and then there's a guy who just started yeah and the play is about their dynamic 
and the way that they relate to each other and the way that in which they feel stuck in the world and in this job. And it's not really a, it's not a play that's about anything. It's just about these people living their lives. Yeah. And you see that play out over three and a half hours. Yeah. A lot of that is silence. A lot of that is them literally sweeping the stage, yeah. picking up popcorn, doing the menial tasks that a movie theater worker would do. Yeah. And for people like Daniel and me, uh, <laughs> this was a really beautiful, emotional, powerful show. Yeah. I, I saw that show two or three times. And every time I left feeling super, super moved. Yeah. And part of that's because it was an amazing production. The performers were great. But part of that's because it allowed the space for boredom. Yeah. And how important that is in lot in our lives. And how mm. when, when you juxtapose the idea of boredom with the fact that what we seek out for, the reason we seek out entertainment is to allay boredom, is yeah. to get rid of boredom. Yeah. And when you do that, and the entertainment you bring in glorifies, celebrates, or or shows off boredom. It can be a distancing thing for some audiences. So I understand that. Right. But there's also power in that. In saying you paid, you know, whatever you paid to come see the show. And now you're going to sit and watch people sweep a stage. Mm-hmm. And it, but that, but what they're doing while they're sweeping or what they're thinking is, yeah. is being portrayed to you by these wonderful actors. Yeah. So I watched that show around the same time that I played Firewatch. And hmm. what I wish had happened was that Campo Santo just allowed the game to be boring. Yeah. They allowed the story to be boring. Because hmm. I think if they had done that, yeah. it would be a completely different experience. If instead of getting wrapped up in some bullshit conspiracy <laughs> theory about aliens, yeah. you were exploring Henry's sense of loss over his failed marriage. Yeah. And exploring whatever relationship with Delilah you were trying to create as the player. <laughs> and we're exploring this beautifully rendered forest, both at night and in the day, and doing the menial tasks of being a park ranger, you know, before a time of the internet. Yeah. And like, you know, you're yelling at kids, you're, you're telling them that they can't strip naked and go into the pond. Yeah. Or you're picking up people's trash or you're, you know, reporting the fact of fireworks, which are all things you do in the game. And those are the most interesting parts in the game in my opinion yeah yeah. if they had let those moments breathe and then layered in this story about a father who lost his son because of his own uh yeah. you know lack of control yeah that would have been such a different experience i i agree completely and i think they really should have doubled down on that making it more of a, a personal story instead of right. bringing these outside elements into it i think i think the personal moments were the strongest right. and there's something to say for the quiet moments of of a story. Yes. You know, um, this is going to be super tangential. Oh, but the, talking about the flick wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, you're allowed a tangent now. There's this movie I actually have a strong fondness for, which is the anime adaptation of Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it came out in the 90s, very beautifully animated. And one of the only parts of that movie I remember anymore is a part where like the professor character is just in his in his apartment he's reading a book um and also like writing down notes as like he he reads this book that he's studying it just shows him doing that and nothing else mm. for like a good like 2 or 3 minutes mm-hmm. and there's there's one moment where like he's writing something down and the wind like blows like a page of the book like you know it makes it makes a page of the book like flip uh, while he's trying to read it, so like there's there's just an animation where like he's stopping the page and like pressing it back down, uh, and it takes him a couple tries, and that was like 
hundreds of dollars, <laughs> thousands of dollars of animation to depict this just very incidental scene where nothing really happens and right. it's just really quiet. And I loved that part. Yeah, it stuck of, with you all yeah, these years. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't even remember, like, the main plot. I right. remember, like, a robot girl, like, falling off of a building or something. But but that memory is less clear than this professor playing with his fucking book, you know? Right, right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there there are scenes from the flick that will stay with me the rest of my life. Yeah. And I think on the whole, this is not something video games have learned how to do yet, which is to celebrate, to showcase those quiet moments. And But they're so important because the the power in the flick and the power in what you're talking about, too, with, with um, the metamorphosis, um, sorry, oh, the metropolis, metropolis yeah. is we can all recognize those things in our life that felt personal when we see them through other people's lives. You yeah. know, when, when I watch the flick, I, I never worked in a movie movie theater, but I've had yeah. jobs that were menial. Yes. Yeah, I've, I've, I've want, I've striven for more. I've strived for more. I don't know what the proper conjugation of that is. <laughs> I've wanted more. Yeah. It, you know, I remember what that feeling is like. Yeah. And watching characters go through that and some of them being older than I am and going through that. Yeah. That's an emotional interchange. Yeah. And so much of that was there for the character of Henry. He's escaping something by yeah. doing this job. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's looking for an escape. He's removed himself from society so that he can deal with his own demons. Yeah. One thing I, th one thing I think is really interesting about Firewatch, actually, is that Henry and Delilah are both very enjoyable characters to experience in the story. Uh, and you get really hooked on their dynamic and on their narrative. But neither of them are likable people. <laughs> right. Uh, Henry is just a, like, <laughs> when, uh, one of the cool things is the game sort of opens with just, like, this text on a black screen narration that sort of tells you how Henry meets his first wife. And you get to make decisions on, like, what he says and stuff. Sort of, like, fast forwards you through different parts of their life. You find out that his wife has dementia. And... I thought this opening bit was going to end with his wife dying and me being like a widower that escapes away to, to the forest. But instead, he just he dumps her. He just leaves her. Yeah, he dumps her with her parents and takes this job to escape. It's like, oh, I'm not a widower. I'm just a bad husband. And and Delilah's kind of not a great friend. <laughs> yeah, no. Like, <laughs> Del what's funny is. One thing that's actually really interesting is I think the better person you play Henry as, like, you get to make a lot of decisions. You can decide that Henry's guilty for leaving his wife instead of, like, glad that he's away from her. You can get to make either of those decisions. You can you can make a decision to have Henry flirt with Delilah as little as possible. But, <laughs> but sometimes, no matter what decision you make, Henry will flirt with Delilah. Right, There's yeah. some control you just don't have over this. Right. But the better person you are is Henry, the worse of a person Delilah is. <laughs> yeah. There's uh like there's a sequence in the game where the girls go missing and Delilah tells you It's like, Oh hey, uh there's a missing report out for these girls. I don't really want to tell the authorities that we saw them last night. And as Henry, I said, you know, you shouldn't go into too much detail, but you should tell them we saw them at the forest and the direction we think they went. You should tell them the basics, you know, help them find these girls. And I was like, Okay. And then later you guys start to think that you're being tapped by the authorities, that the authorities are are the ones that are tracking you. And Henry is like, why would the authorities be after us? And the is like, hey, you know when you told me to tell the authorities what we know about the girls? 
I didn't. I thought it'd be a hassle, and I just didn't do it. <laughs> and and now these people surveilling us know that we do know where the girls are, and we didn't say anything. And as Henry, I said, "Fuck Delilah," <laughs> and, Del- and Delilah said, "Fuck indeed." <laughs> and I'm and I'm sitting in my couch like, "No, Delilah, what you're supposed to say? This is my fault. Right, right, I'm right. sorry." Uh, and she's. Yeah, she's just kind of a shitty person. She like, you know, there's one uh there's one evening where you guys are both watching the fire from your lookout points and Delilah's just like, "Hey, let's meet up after this. Let's just let's just like, you know, I know you got a wife and everything, but let's just let's just be together." And uh and there's no option for you to just say <laughs> no as Henry. That's so so I I just like I just let the timer go. I just said nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is always a powerful choice. I'm yeah. really glad they, they incorporated that. Yeah, that was really cool. I think I also chose to say fuck Delilah, and I play, haven't played this game in literal years, but I can remember <laughs> the way he delivers that yeah, line. fuck Delilah. God, yeah. that was good. Oh, so good. And then at the very end, Delilah abandons you. Yeah. <laughs> like, so one of the other problems with the, the game is that at the end, the forest burns down. Yeah. Uh, and, like, you're doing, like, this mad scramble through all the places you've already been, which was kind of neat to revisit all those places yeah. as they start to burn down. Yeah. That's not yeah. so great. But That's, then like, it's, it was interesting. Yeah. It was interesting to revisit all those places. Yeah. And at the end, like Delilah's supposed to wait for you at the helicopter yeah. and then she just fails. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, uh, like she's like, Oh, Hey, the helicopter guys are here. They're making rounds. Uh, I'm, I think I'm just going to go. And you actually have the option to be like, okay, I yeah, go ahead or, or like, Hey, please stay. Or like, I, I actually picked the third option, which was I'm kind of worried that they won't come back for me if you I think leave. That's what I maybe did too. Uh, can you stay? And she, and she says, "No, I'm gonna go." And she goes, and uh, and then like the last scene in the game is like you in her tower waiting for the helicopter and having a conversation with her over this intercom where she's like on the other side, uh, and she's like, "Yeah, bye. You should go back to your wife." Like I do kind of wonder if I had been even an even worse husband if that conversation would have been different. I don't think so. Mm. From what I remember. Cuz I uh remember looking it up after I played. Okay. But I don't remember, but I don't think so. Yeah. Cuz I liked I liked all the little things that changed based on my choices. Right. Like during the first little narration crawl, uh you see Julia in in the bar and you have the option to ask her what her major is or just to say you're uh you're really pretty right and i asked her what her major was i decided to play cool you know it turned out <laughs> she was a teacher and not a student and then uh and then later when you're playing through the game delilah's asking about julia it's like oh uh, julia how how do you guys meet and and because of my choice henry just says like yeah i asked her what her major was and she was a teacher oh whoops you know and, <laughs> and like oh that would have gone differently if i'd made a different choice yeah uh and to get back to the main point, like that's what's so disappointing about this game is like yeah. those 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 little moments, yeah, like the little moments in the flick, yeah, like the little moments in Metropolis are yeah. what make the game good, yes, and and they just forsook those, yeah, so that they could build this unnecessary, overly complicated plot, yeah. And one thing that actually makes me one thing that actually makes me really happy is that we're not the first people to have these complaints, sure. And I think that Campo Santo really read a lot of this feedback and i just feel yes. i just feel like in the valley of the gods is going to be this incredibly personal story right. they're not going to muddy it up with unnecessary extravagance that it didn't need in the first place right 
I'm so excited for In the Valley of the Gods. Firewatch, the thing that Firewatch has done most is excite me for In the Valley of the Gods well, and how it could be different and better. I'm really glad to hear that. And I'm going to take that as a successful recommendation then because that's what I was hoping it would do. Yeah, it is a successful recommendation because even even if In the Valley of the Gods didn't exist, and I, I think this was a better recommendation because it does exist, right. but even if it didn't, Firewatch does so many cool things and it comes just short of greatness. I agree. And I love seeing games experiment and I love seeing them try at greatness and I feel like they're worth it even if they fall short and Firewatch is very much that kind of experience for me and you're also a, a person who really cares about good voice acting and oh this yeah it's just it's at the top of the list what a showcase of voice acting <laughs> it's yeah so good. what a good what a good time but yeah at the end of the day my hope is just some way someday someone will make a game that is as beautiful and as well voice acted and as uh quiet as Firewatch started yeah and then just be brave tell a boring story let us live out there's so much um, there's so much universality to be mined in those personal moments you know that's kind of the point of art is to 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 communicate the universal through the through the specific yeah is to take these moments that maybe i don't have i've never been a park ranger i've <laughs> hiked a couple times and i've stayed i've slept in a park like three times in my life i don't know what it's like to do that Right. I don't have any access to those personal feelings. Yeah. But by watching those specific actions, by by watching someone deal with the problems in their life through those specific actions, there is a universal understanding that comes about. Yeah, yeah. And and that project is so important. That that idea to me is so important to the construction of of the art I am interested in. Firewatch got there and then it left. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. that's ultimately my feeling on the game is like there are some real I, I, parts of that game will stay with me forever. Yeah. Uh but part part of what's going to stay with me forever is disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. So before we wrap up our conversation on Firewatch Daniel, any other miscellaneous thoughts uh, that we haven't touched on yet for you? Well, let me pull up my notes. You mean your poster board presentation? <laughs> my poster board presentation. We forgot to note in the presentation part, the soundtrack is actually pretty good for what it is. I don't remember it. Yeah, it's not it's not super remarkable or memorable, but it was atmospheric and it was tense mm. and always fit the scene, so I think that's good. That's nice. You you can get an achievement for getting stung by a bee. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. When you break into what you think is a government facility, there's just a mailbox you can open up, and if you open the mailbox, a bee flies out and stings you. I don't remember that. Yeah, That's amazing. And, and then, uh, and then I got a trophy for it in on the PS4. That's so, hilarious. Yeah, so I just wrote B in all lowercase <laughs> on, on on my notes to remember that little scene. Like that's another example of just all these little, small moments. Yeah, yeah. and I love that. <laughs> I love that uh, the game gives you like achievements and trophies for doing these small incidental things. There were a couple of other like small things that you didn't necessarily have to do in the story. Like, I think you just got like a trophy for like looking in your outhouse, you know, mm. those, those were like the, the little touches that yeah, setting just, the atmosphere. Yeah. Setting the tone. Yeah. That was really excellent. I think Ned as a character just sort of fell flat for me. I agree. Right. But the way they told his son Brian's story was done remarkably well. Yeah. Just the way you got to find out all these things about Brian, like, it turns out that he's a nerd, and you can, at one point, when you find his hideout, he has just a character sheet for a Dungeons & Dragons-style right. game he's playing, yeah. and the the sheet is fully written out. You can read the whole sheet, and it's very authentic. 
there's two ways you can read something. You can press like the examine button to sort of like look at the piece of paper itself and see all the writing on it. But if that's too much of a hassle, you can press triangle to just read like a text transcription of everything that's written on there. When you look at Brian's Dungeons and Dragons character sheet, and you, uh, if you look at the sheet itself, you see all the stats written out. Uh, you see all the stats written out and stuff. If you press the read button, it says like the character's like name and his race and like his age and stuff. And then when it gets to the stats, it just says unintelligible geek nonsense in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> like and it, it really like really sold like uh henry's perspective of like oh wow this guy's a turbo right. nerd right. like uh like he didn't understand any of this nerd crap um later you can find uh the player's handbook for wizards right. and wyverns and i kept it it didn't do anything but i still kept it yeah there are a lot of nice touches in brian's story like that and, yeah and it definitely delivers the emotional punch when you then find his, his corpse it it did it it did feel emotional, but one actually the worst thing that happened in that game to me was when you find his body, you start to see Henry react to it like, "Oh my God, I'm Brian. It's it's you. I'm so sorry." And his stellar performance is something you can barely hear because of the dramatic violins just roaring oh, no. over his reaction. Yeah. Oh man, I don't remember that. That's yeah, terrible. Yeah. No that that was rough. That was like, ooh ooh, I want to I want to bop that sound designer on the nose right now <laughs> oh oh you killed a beautiful moment with those violins, violins. yeah but i love violins but i want to oh, do I, you? yeah what's your opinion on violins oh, they're great good good <laughs> instrument <laughs> but i i want to hear i want to hear dramatic dialogue over the violins sure uh, you know yeah yeah, so <laughs> that was a bummer, but I did really like the way Brian's story was depicted overall, and yeah. they they really painted out the kind of kid he was just perfectly. Yeah, and yeah, like I, it bummed me out that that wasn't like that was not the focus for two to three hours of that game. Right. Uh, but we keep going back to that. Right. We we keep saying in a bunch of different ways that the personal, boring, quiet moments were the best, but uh, but I just. I, I feel driven to highlight a lot of those moments yeah. because of how great they were. It's so important. And it's, and like, like I said earlier, just to underscore the point, like it's just not something that video games have, have done all that much yet. And I'm sure yeah. there are games out there that have, and I just don't know them, but it, it, compared to other art forms, you know, it, it's something that video games, it's not really a, a method of telling a story that they've really explored as much. Yeah. Although if any of our readers know about any like yeah. quiet personal Please. games, yeah, tell us about that shit. That sounds Please. great. That'd be yeah. great. Well, I think in summary, yeah. um, I, I think summing up my experience of, of Firewatch, I'd say play it. Yeah. Uh, and if any beggars, the flick is playing in your city, go see it. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Find find an old DVD of the anime version of Metropolis and and then play Firewatch or do it in whatever order you want. <laughs> now, Fire, uh, yeah, I, I really am glad that I played Firewatch. I think it was a unique experience. It was absolutely worth it. That doesn't necessarily mean it was good right. overall, but it was just it was just a very worthwhile experience. It was cool to see that kind of experiment and the good and the bad, the things they did right and the things they did wrong, was just incredibly interesting. And man, man, In the Valley of the Gods is going to be dope as hell. I just feel it in all yeah, of my bones. I'm really jazzed for that game. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thank, thank you, Max, for that recommendation. Yeah, good, good pick. Oh, thank you. Oh, 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 oh,
Daniel, why don't you tell the folks uh, at home what we're going to be doing for our next recommended game? We're going to do a different format yet again. Yeah, so uh, a, a couple episodes ago, uh, Max and I decided to play through Monster Hunter World at the same time, a brand shiny new game that neither of us had played, and then to bring Sean on as a guest, and I'll talk about that together. This time we're doing something similar. Uh, Max and I are playing through Kirby Star Allies, each with our significant others. Yeah. Uh, and we'll be bringing them on as guests next episode. Max is going to bring his wife, Stephanie. Yeah. And I'm going to bring my girlfriend, Amy Lee. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and I'm really excited for this episode. Yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah. Like, especially because I... <laughs> Amy hasn't played a lot of Kirby games. Yeah. So it'll be cool to see what she thinks of Star Allies. And Stephanie, I'm excited for Stephanie to be on the show because she is the least of a gamer out of all of us, like, subtracted from each other. <laughs> yeah, <even>. exactly. <laughs> yeah, Stephanie's uh, major gaming experience is playing The Sims. Yeah. Uh, although, but what's really exciting about this is, uh, so she's not a gamer, and I don't think she'd ever call herself that, but mm-hmm. uh, she, like, enjoys when I play games, and yeah. uh, we played through Kirby's Epic Yarn together oh, uh, back nice. on the Wii, and yeah. that was a really great time. And, you know, All-Stars is not going to be quite the same experience. I think Epic Yarn was kind of for a different uh, audience maybe yeah. um, but we're really excited to play through it together and then talk about it on the podcast yeah and i'm i'm really pumped to to play through it with amy too because uh she actually guessed it on a previous episode she guessed it on the game of yeah. the year episode and i personally uh with no bias at all think that she had a lot of great things to say about <laughs> about her game so yeah, absolutely it'll, it'll be cool to bring her back on yeah we just have to keep the conversation away from the sims <laughs> So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. That'll be uh, the next episode we record. Again, we're playing Kirby Star Allies with our uh, significant others, our star allies. Aw, yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, I didn't even think about that. It's so perfectly themed. <laughs> I never made that connection until just now. Amazing. Well, thank you all for listening uh, to our podcast. This is Play This, starring Max and Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, Daniel uh, cheated on me and started his own <laughs> podcast uh, with Sean. It's called A Smashing Theory, and it is their Wild Thornberries fan cast. <laughs> we're, uh, we're really trying to get uh, Tim Curry to, to guest star. He hasn't returned our calls yet, but we're really... No, it's a, it's a Smash Bros. podcast. It is. The third episode just dropped, and it is um, a really, really good podcast. Uh, Daniel gets to flex all of his uh, super smart Smash muscles. Uh, you get to hear him talk about um, his deep, deep knowledge of that franchise. And he and Sean have some really great conversations about the characters who may or may not be in the upcoming game. So definitely take a listen to that if you haven't yet. It's um, a Smashing Theory. And Daniel, where can the folks find it? You can find that on a Smashing Theory on Twitter. Uh, we're we're also on Facebook, and you can uh, you can find the podcast itself on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Podcasts, and Stitcher and Player FM. Uh, you can just type in a smashing theory into the search bar and all of those, and it'll be the first thing that pops up. So go do that. Listen to Smashing Theory. All of those same things remain true for Play This. You can listen to us on your favorite podcasting service. Yeah. We are on Twitter at Play This Podcast, and you can email us feedback at playthispodcast.com. We'd love to get your thoughts on Firewatch, Kirby Star Allies, Metropolis, Andy Baker's The Flick. Anything <laughs> you want to say, we're open and willing to listen to. So Yeah. Um, and thank you for rating and subscribing on your various uh, podcast services. Yeah, it really helps people find us. So we're really happy whenever someone new does it. So thank you to everyone that has. 
And also thank you to Sean for writing our music, including our new interstitial music, which was a, a little bit of a passion drive of mine. And I think it sounds <laughs> great. So, Sean, thank you so much for taking care of that. And thank you for Kessie Rilaniki for making that excellent, excellent art that you see on every episode. That good, good art. Good, good, good art. Thanks again for listening. And as always, it's dangerous to game alone. Play this! Bye. <laughs>